0: Good afternoon, welcome to the weekly edition of The Wrap. I'm Laura Leslie, WRL Capital Bureau Chief.
1: And I'm Paul Spey, PolitiFact reporter and WRL state government reporter.
0: And election reporter this week, although who wasn't an election reporter this week? How many stories did we do this week? Oh my gosh,
1: I lost count. It's probably over a dozen and we pulled in Brian Murphy, who now is supposed to be on sports duty, but uh, couldn't get away from us.
0: Mission creep, right? Right. It would, yeah, it would be a crime. We, we were very thankful to have Murph helping us out as well as Brian Anderson, Travis Faye, and Jack Cagle, you and me, and um, a cast of thousands from the WRL TV newsroom. Um, right. So some some week of coverage, I'm sure everybody who's going to watch this or hear this is already going to know pretty much how things turned out. But um, we should mention a couple of legislative races that we were watching pretty closely. Um, one of them was Kirk Dudier. And you wrote about this, Andy. This is you know, he was, he was singled out by Cooper, um, and, you know, Governor Cooper basically, I mean, no, straight out, uh, spon- just, you know, went with his opponent, Val Applewhite, which was really interesting to a lot of people, I think.
1: I can't remember if we've had a situation like that in recent years. Maybe you can, but, um, that was interesting f- because we wondered like, Hey, Devier was crucial back in, what was it? 2018 for flipping that seat. Um, from Republican Wesley Meredith to uh, the Democrats. And so we wondered, like, well, does he have the connections and the popularity he needs to keep it despite, you know, the governor's allies um, coming after him for allegedly, you know, working too, too much with Republicans? Um and so, it, you know, we got to see that uh, the governor and his people and his candidate uh, not to take anything away from her. Of course not. Uh, Val Applewhite, were all strong and um, it wasn't all that close.
0: Now, I was surprised at how not close it was. I really thought that Devier would have more support from the community. So that was quite a shocker to me. Um, and also quite a message to be sent to some of the House and Senate Democrats who sometimes like to wobble Uh, on whether or not they're gonna uphold a veto. Um, Kirk Devier did vote, I think for one override vote. And I think that that was it, I think it was the budget. So, (laughs) you know, anyway. Um, Others races though, very interesting. As everybody knows, probably there's a lot of double bunked folks uh, because we we have the new maps to work with, of course. Um, So we had um, Ralph Heise and Deanna Ballard and a match extraordinaire up in Western NC. Uh, Ralph Heis did pull that off, but also that was a squeaker. Uh, Deanna Ballard, also a member of Senate leadership, so it was very, very interesting race to watch that the the makeup of that district changed enough to make it really competitive, and that was one that I was curious to see was so close. Uh, Another one, um, Norm Sanderson pretty easily beat Bob Steinberg out in uh, Senate one. They were drawn together. A couple of the ones in the House that caught my attention were kind of upsets, one of which was Ben Moss, who is a freshman Republican from Richmond County, upset Jamie Bowles, who has been in the legislature since God was a boy, I think. And he, um, you know, Bowles is a longtime member of leadership at the legislature as well, but the way that that district was redrawn really put a lot more of the vote in Richmond County, which of course was Ben Moss's folks. And so he pretty handily beat, beat Jamie Bowles. And then of course, Jake Johnson, um, beat David Rogers, but that's not too big of a surprise.
1: Right. I think I was talking to Republican sources that night, they were surprised by Steinberg, Steinberg losing. And they said, uh, if anyone is surprised that Ballard was so close with Heiss, they should not be. They told me she does not get the credit she deserves for being an effective politician, but also for being really popular out there. Um, So I I just wanted to throw that in there and say like, Heiss winning was not a foregone conclusion. And the people I talked to on the Republican side were not surprised that it was close.
0: Interesting, that's really good to know. Another one that we were watching is um, one that's gonna shape up to be like old home week. Uh, this is Toby Fitch, he, uh, he was drawn, well, Raymond Smith was a Wayne County Democrat who was drawn into the same district with John Bell, the House majority leader. So he decided to run for Senate instead. So we challenged Toby Fitch for his Senate seat. Um, Toby Fitch won that one. Um, and then on the other side, I think it was Buck Newton that won that one. Uh, sure. Remember he, he dropped, he retired from the Senate um, in 2016 to run for state attorney general unsuccessfully and so um, he wants his old job back so it'll be a really interesting matchup out there between uh the two of them out in wilson
1: did we ever end up counting how many former legislators are trying to make comebacks
0: i think i ended up counting nine or ten it's in okay. one of our stories somewhere but yeah there were a lot of folks who did and a lot of them not surprisingly won their primaries but some of them didn't um, right. Shirley Man- Shirley Randleman and, um Lee Zachary were both running in I think Yadkin County if I'm remembering correctly, um, and neither of them won that district um, run the primary in that district. So that's that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a couple other cases where people that you thought would be a shoe in um, were not, in fact, but some other folks did. I, like I said, Trisha Cotham, for example, won hers pretty easily, and she's almost certainly coming back because that's a very that's a Democratic district. Right. So anyway, looking at some of the other stories, you had a great story this week about money being sort of what talked in this election. Talk a little bit about that.
1: Right, that was a theme that emerged after Tuesday. Was you looked at the landscape of uh, just the election field, and you look at the U.S. Senate race, and you see where someone like Ted Budd, who you know he hasn't been in Congress all that long, but um, his resume doesn't stand out, uh, at least not in comparison to former Governor Pat McCrory, and um, Mark Walker, who was in, in Congress for six years and rose up the ranks there, you know, and yet because of the power of Club for Growth, the think tank out of Washington, D.C., paired with the Trump endorsement. I mean, he won, all, I, you know, I, I feel like I should say in a landslide because it certainly felt that way. Um, everyone, but based on polling, we knew that was coming. So then yeah, maybe you,
0: maybe not to that extent, though.
1: 50 right. plus.
0: We've, yeah. I mean, yeah.
1: That was the surprise was the the extent of the win. We, we sort of expected him to pull it out. We didn't know that uh, the Club for Growth money paired with Trump would go that far uh, and getting him that much support. And then you look you start to look at the congressional races Club for Growth threw its weight around uh, in the 13th district, which is expected to be the most competitive in North Carolina. Um, And Bo Hines, he's 26 years old, nothing against young people, but I mean, he does not have, he doesn't have any time in elected office. And some of his opponents criticized him for never having a quote unquote real job. And yet he pulled that out against former Congresswoman Renee Elmers, uh, Kelly Daughtry, uh, and- uh, uh, Devan Barber. Van Barber, Barber
0: right. who was a local, he was a locally um, endorsed candidate, um, did not have a lot of money to do a lot of TV airtime, but he knew enough people in Johnson County and in the district that he didn't necessarily need to. So he was only about three points behind Hines.
1: Right. Um, and Kelly he-
0: Daughtry was kind of a distant third, and then Kent Kiersey came after that, and we, I, I think Renee Elmers was somewhere in the single digits. Right.
1: And so we, you know, I had uh, before the election night, we heard whispers uh, of Barber. I had people telling me like, eh, not that he might win, but he's going to do better than people think. Uh, I think most people thought it was between Daughtry and Hines. And, you know, you have $1.5 million coming from club for growth to get your name out there on, on the airwaves. And uh, that again, paired with Trump's endorsement, pulled him across the finish line. And then you look at the, uh, the Democratic side, with uh, the pro-Israel group APAC, uh, putting in paired with uh, the what is it, uh, Protect Our Futures PAC, uh, which was founded by the cryptocurrency billionaire. Right. Uh, Valerie <laughs> Fushi got what was it? I think it was three point four million dollars in, in outside court. Yeah. support. And uh, that race wasn't close either. And then you look at Don Davis uh, in the and fir- the first congressional district and. You know, I wondered, uh, as I, I think other people did, you know, would that be closer because of his record uh voting uh, for uh, anti-abortion bills, you know, and at a time like this, when the everyone's uh, thinking about this Supreme Supreme Court leak, what's going to happen to Roe v. Wade, you know, would that hurt him? But that race wasn't close either. And again, the theme was outside spending, uh, APAC and the cryptocurrency billionaire guy, and uh, on the Republican side, Club for Growth. I mean, uh, uh, the people with generally the most outside spending won. And you could argue that without outside spending and Madison Cawthorn's race, uh, that he probably pulls it off. You know, he had his own scandals and he had raised $3 million for his own campaign. Yeah, he
0: certainly had plenty of name recognition by this (laughs) point in the news cycles, right?
1: Yes, of course, uh, lots of name recognition for uh, positive and negative reasons, but you know, you had $1.5 million in that race coming in uh, and getting on the airwaves to attack him and it knocked him out. And so, um, right, we have that story on our website about just those themes of the outside money really making a difference.
0: And I had a story about the 13th, um, looking at it in terms of in migration, it is interesting It's gonna be the most competitive district. And part of that, of course, is the way that it's drawn. But part of that is where it's located. It's simply in the southern area of the triangle. And that's where a lot of the growth is happening from southern Wake County on through Johnson County, Harnett, a little bit of Wayne County. And so we're seeing some demographic shifts in the area as people are moving in from other states. So it'll be very interesting to see um, who comes out ahead in that when you got Wiley Nickel up against Bo Hines. Uh, Wiley Nickel already trying to basically associate Bo Hines with Madison Cawthorn, calling him another Madison Cawthorn. Bo Hines obviously not real pleased about that and says we're very different people, but they have appeared together um, relatively frequently, including at a recent rally, the Trump rally in Selma.
1: It'll be interesting to see how Hines handles that comparison. I know he's already said we're not the same person, but how, does, how will he demonstrate that on the campaign trail? I'm, I, I'm interested just to hear how he uh, differentiates himself <laughs>
0: Yeah, and so um, looking at that, so those are kind of our interesting stories of the week. Uh, Brian Anderson had a good one about um, how the media, basically how some candidates are avoiding the media and it seems to be working just fine for them.
1: Right, I, I, I saw that and we saw that theme a little bit too with some of the candidates uh, being hesitant to participate in debates like Ted but he tried he <laughs> to participate in a debate. Um,
0: yeah, he did not. He um, and Valerie Fushi also did not participate in some of the panels that were with her, um, Nita Alam and um, uh, Clay Aiken, some of her competitors. And then um, we, well, we didn't have any debates really in the 13th, I don't think. Um, but, you know, that's another one where we're kind of watching to see, you know, a candidate that's not super, super accessible to the media, you know, and in, in some ways I kind of, these stories kind of make my, make me edgy because i, I kind of think to myself well they should be talking to us it's like well not everybody thinks that and you know and not everybody thinks that the media is special and you know and that it's okay to just talk to voters and that's maybe preferable um, but it is true that when you're running as a congressional candidate or a senate candidate in a large large district the only way you're going to be able to talk to all your voters is going to be you know through the media so i think there is an argument to be made there and you know, the thing about running an air war, which is what we saw, I think in the, in the US Senate race on the Republican side for sure, is that you, know, you never get to ask a question, right? All you hear about is what they want you to hear about. And you don't get to actually hear that candidate interact with other candidates and defend their positions. And so, and explain their positions. So mm-hmm. anyway, I'll just, I'll just say, I, I thought it was a good story.
1: You beat me to it, I was gonna ask you, I was gonna, you've been doing this longer than I have. Did it, did it feel different this year? Um, it with the it did.
0: It did. You know, there's a, just a lot of control. It, it, that is that is the theme on both sides: is control, campaign control, message control. And so, you can control an air campaign. You can control a speech, right? You can't control a debate. Um, you can't really control a gaggle. You know, you can talk to. You can pick and choose who you talk to. Um, and some candidates are pretty clearly doing that. Um, you know, that's something that a lot of candidates try to do is to shop around for the reporter that they think is going to be the most sympathetic to, to their campaign message. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and Democrats are doing it just like Republicans. It's, it's, it is probably the safest way to do a campaign, but it is the least transparent way to do a campaign. And I think voters should, should be, you know, hopefully pushing back on this and, and telling candidates, you know what, we want to hear from you in person.
1: Mm-hmm. it's sort of it to me it feels like the big money thing again too with you you mentioned people shopping stories and that's something that came up uh on the democrat side you know clay aiken and uh, ashley ward even held a press conference trying to get that message out there about big money and how it um was allegedly hypocritical for the democratic candidates uh to sort of embrace it obviously um calling out senator Fushi. Um, but I, I thought that was interesting, too. And, I, you know, it'll be interesting to see. Will that will they try the same thing in future elections? Because obviously this time, you know, pointing out the outside money and saying, oh, look at all this. It's people outside the state trying to pick the winner for you. Did, that strategy didn't seem to work or at least maybe they they started it too late. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a campaign guy, um, so I, I don't know.
0: I don't know. I will tell you, I mean, Macquarie and Walker and Eastman to some extent were hammering bud with that message from the, almost from the get-go in this campaign. And so they started at the very beginning and it still didn't work for him either. You know, I mean that he's you know funded by Club for Growth and Pro-China, whatever was what they were saying about it. So yeah, I don't think people really care about outside money. I think they, you know, I think they see money as money and you know, are they they're just interested in whether or not that candidate speaks to them and it's easier to speak to voters when you got a lot of money. Right. Exactly. So yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, I don't know, I, I don't see the trend changing anytime soon, probably. But <clears throat> anyway, I did want to mention, um, we should mention our preview for a session session. Officially started this week, I gaveled in. You know, um, they're not really doing anything, but next week they're starting to take up some, um, some committee meetings, um, popping into the inbox. Senate folks, I wish you would please put the bills on your committee notices. <laughs> we hate it when you tell us you're having a committee, but won't tell us what you're doing. Um, sorry, pet peeve of mine. Uh, But anyway, um, one thing we do know they're going to be working on is the budget and so you know they're in a really good spot because they got $6 billion extra in their pocket. Um, So they've already approved a budget of about $27 billion for this upcoming fiscal year so now they're going to do some changes to it or adjustments to it that's the normal part of the second year of the two year cycle. The question is, how much are they going to expand their spending? You know, Governor Cooper wanted about two billion over the twenty-seven billion uh, for some programs that he wants to put in place. You know, I think we heard pretty clear pushback from the Republican leadership. It was like, eh, is, you know, <laughs> you got some good ideas in there, but that's a lot of spending for us, and we're worried about uh, the possibility of an upcoming recession. So going to hold off uh i think they're going to hold off on too much extra spending but you know there's a lot of political pressure right now for wages increases for state employees and and um and teachers and you know it's not even just political i mean the state workforce right now is running about a 30 percent vacancy rate i mean it's hard to run the state when one out of three people one out of three positions is vacant and it's because they don't pay enough you know so that's something that i think lawmakers are really going to have to take a look at this year as they decide you know what they want to do with some of this money um, because some of it may just have to be invested if they want the state to continue to run
1: it feels like a moment doesn't it like uh, we'll maybe look back and and say that maybe this year if they do decide to do something with wages is a moment I I mean they may have to talk to consultants or something about how to how to retain people Um, but maybe we will see some sort of shift I'm really interested to see what they end up doing.
0: I am too, you know, and especially because for a long time, Republican leaders have sort of painted the, you know, state employees as the problem. Like we need to cut as many of these folks as we can, right? So they have made a lot of cuts, a lot of cuts at a lot of agencies. So they're already running on pretty much bare bones staff in most cases. So when you make that many cuts, and then all of a sudden you can't fill the positions that you decided were essential, that's when things start to break down, you know. So um, we'll, you know, we'll have to see what they do with that. But um, I know the governor did want. Uh, to give a 5% raise instead of two and a half for teachers and for state employees this coming year. Um, That doesn't sound crazy to me. I suspect state employees would like to see it a whole lot higher. Mm -hmm. But uh, the governor did, I should I should mention the governor in his budget did include um, basically sort of a fund for each agency, about two percent of payroll that they could use to sort of shore up pay in given positions to try to get those really critical positions filled, you know, to try to offset, you know, come up to what the labor market is really charging for some of these positions like nurses, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, But it it has yet to be seen whether or not legislators are going to go for that.
1: That's interesting. It's, it's less of a, an across the board uh, raise and more of sort of an allowance for various departments to say, hey, use this how you see fit. That's interesting. Yeah,
0: yeah although that it's never been real popular with the Republicans to do
1: that.
0: <laughs> but you know what? Times change, right? Um, anyway, I think that's about all I have. Anything else you want to add?
1: I think that's it. You know, the only other thing with the legislature is, you know, uh, coming out of the pandemic, Uh, people have talked a lot about mental health. And I think it'll be interesting to see if uh, some of these legislators start putting their money where their mouth is. You know, they've said school shut down. It affected mental health of kids. We've seen some numbers that back that up. You've reported on um, suicide rates, uh, not just here, but across the country. Will anything significant be done about that? Uh, That's something that I'm interested to see too.
0: I am too. And we also are, I should mention, looking for sports betting. Uh, because we keep hearing that it's likely to come up. Um, it got through the Senate last year. You might remember a bill to legalize sports gambling, uh, made it to the House where it kind of hit the brakes because the, apparently the House Republican caucus was not majority in favor of it. However, it sounds like some of that support has started to broaden a little bit over the break. Um, so we're hearing some intimations that we might actually see that bill move um, in this short session. you know, Anything you see it move in this short session is gonna be clearly a priority because they've said over and over that they're going to try to make this short now i'm going to say i've heard it before i believe it want to see it you know but um if they really do make it short then you should be able to tell pretty quickly what's what the priorities are going to be
1: We talked. i I mentioned moments earlier this also seems like a moment in time with sports gambling where we see other states across the map you know uh, adopting these bills and sort of embracing it obviously with rules in place and so um It does. It almost feels imminent. Although, like you said, uh, believe it when you see it.
0: Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, hey, that is probably it for us this week, then. And we will be, of course, at the legislature monitoring all the goings on. And we will catch you up on it next week here on The Wrap. Thanks for joining us.